0: This morning, we're going to start off with the scripture from Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke 18, 9 through 14, or you can turn there on one of your apps on your phone or your iPad, or you can keep your eyes on the screen, and we'll pop it up up there, okay? Luke 18, 9 through 14, I'm going to read this story and this parable to you from the Passion Translation. Jesus taught this parable to those who were convinced They were morally upright, and those who trusted in their own virtue yet looked down on others with disgust. Once there were two men who went into the temple to pray. One was a proud religious leader, the other a despised tax collector. The religious leader stood apart from the others and prayed, How I thank you, O God, that I'm not wicked like everyone else. They're cheaters and swindlers and crooks like that tax collector over there. God, you know that I never cheat or commit adultery. I fast from food twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all I make. The tax collector stood off alone in the corner, away from the holy place, and covered his face in his hands, feeling that he was unworthy to even look up to God. Beating his breast, he sobbed with brokenness and tears, saying, God, please, in your mercy, and because of the blood sacrifice, forgive me, for I am nothing but the most miserable of all sinners. Which one of them left for home that day made right with God? It was the humble tax collector and not the religious leader. For everyone who praises himself will one day be humiliated before all. And everyone who humbles himself will one day be lifted up and honored before all. Let me give you the context of this parable. The context is trusting in yourself and your own moral righteousness while at the same time despising others with disgust. This parable is a clear instruction on how we're to never be or think of ourselves along with the subtle religious deception of thinking any false religious piety is okay. And here's the contrast. The contrast is the upright, proud religious leader and the despised, humble tax collector. And we get some major clues into the religious leader's downfall. Let's go back to verses 11 and 12, and I want you to count... How he starts out his prayer, I want you to count on the screen how many times he uses the word I. You guys ready? All right, here we go. The religious leader stood apart from the others and prayed how I thank you, O God, that I'm not wicked like everyone else. There are cheaters, swindlers, and crooks like that tax collector over there. God, you know that I never cheat or commit adultery. I fast from food twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all I make. He uses the pronoun I five times. Well, not counting I'm, but yeah, six. Last service, I said six, and everybody corrected me with five. You guys are on it today. You know what's funny about this prayer from the Pharisee? It's almost as if he comes to God with the mindset that the Lord owes him something. That because I've been good enough and I've done all the right things and behaved rightly and all these accolades that he's giving himself, it's as if God literally owes him something. That God should be thankful for him. Do you see it? Instead of coming to the Lord with humility like the tax collector, see, really this parable is the contrast between pride and humility and how God deals with both. Because if you really think about it, the Pharisee thought he was better than the tax collector, but the truth is he was just the same. They were both the same when you really think about it. Did they do the same things? Not necessarily But one was a miserable sinner and one was miserable in his pride thinking that he can perform for God and that God would actually reward him for his performance. And the problem with a performance mentality is that's the way our society raises our families and our children. And if you didn't know Jesus, you were raised that way. If I'm good enough and I measure up and I perform, you'll be rewarded. And then what happens is you become a people pleaser in your life always trying to please everybody else, not wanting to let anybody down. And then when things don't go your way and you don't get the reward or the accolades that you think you should get, you get angry and you get frustrated and then you head towards a fall because that's what pride does. It's pride at its finest. God doesn't owe us anything. He chose to give himself And to die on the cross because of love, not because he owed it to us. He did it because he loves you. Jesus laid his life down not because you were deserving. He laid his life down because you didn't deserve it. And the minute that you start to think that I'm deserving, the minute that you start to think that you're good enough or you've earned it, is the minute that you find yourself arrogant, haughty, and prideful, and you find yourself headed straight for a fall. That's why humility is so important. Now, I want you to notice that this is incredibly destructive. It's the destructive side of self-righteousness. It's false humility, lack of brokenness and pride. It's comparison, and it's despising others. They all go hand in hand. The minute you get prideful is the minute that you think more of yourself and think less of somebody else, and you don't even realize that you're doing it. Pride always leads you to a comparison place. It always leads you to think great of you and to think less or despise someone else. I would imagine that this Pharisee was genuine in his thinking and belief that he would be in better standing with God based on how he was living and giving. I mean, if you really think about it, I could see how he thought that. I know for many of us, it was just so absurd, and it is. But if you really think about it, I can see how he thought that. Because think about it. There were three things that the Pharisee or the religious leader was the most proud of. Number one... He was proud that he was not wicked like everyone else. He was the most self-righteous one. Everybody else are crooks and swindlers, liars and cheaters, and the despise of the society. And he's thanking God that he's not like them. Number two, you need to understand that this Pharisee went 104 days in a year without food. That's more than all of us. Maybe all of us combined. Two days a week times 52 weeks in a year is 104 days of fasting without food. That's a pretty big deal. Second of all, he gave a tenth of all he had. That's gross. That's more than most people tithe. He wasn't asking the question, do I give pre-tax or post-tax? He just gave a tenth right off the bat of everything he had. And he's feeling proud of his accomplishments, and somewhat rightfully so. And he's thankful to God that he's so upright and religious. And he's thankful to God for the things that he's done and what he's not. Now, does God want you to be a crook, a cheater, a swindler, a liar? No. Does God want you to live upright before him and to be morally righteous? Yes. But the issue here is the heart. The issue here is that he was doing it to perform for God and probably to be better than everybody else. And then the real issue is that he was trusting in his own ability instead of being broken and desperate and realizing that he didn't do anything to deserve and earn anything he had. When it comes to salvation and the promises of God, the best thing you can do is just stay faithful and keep your eyes on him. And when you're not faithful, you run to the cross, not away from it. And so the Pharisee had this mindset that what he was doing would get him justified. But I have a newsflash for all of us just because you do all the right things doesn't mean that you're justified before God. We can do our Sunday best, we can go to church to appease our conscience. We can go through all the right religious motions, but if our heart's not in the right place, we don't go through the religious motions anymore. Right. We come expectant. We come broken. We come desperate. And we come ready to give somebody else a hand up because you have to see that the two of them really weren't any different, but one was more justified. One was justified in God's eyes than the other wasn't. And when you can self-deprecate and say I was once the tax collector, or maybe you could say I was once the Pharisee, because many of us are gro- some of us are grown have grown up in weird religious dysfunctional churches, ultra Pentecostal churches, extreme Baptist churches, uh, crazy homeschool parents, and we homeschool by the way, so not every parent's homes- is crazy that homeschools. But you have to understand. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Religion is so prevalent, it's a disdain, and you actually were a Christian Pharisee and you didn't even realize it. Just self-deprecate. Because the truth is, we're either we were either one or the other in the parable. Either you were the liar, cheater, swindler, adulterer, or you were the religious Pharisee that thought you were better than everybody else, Mr. or Miss Perfect. That could do no wrong. And ultimately you realize you can't be either. You just got to self-deprecate. This is an incredible parable of how we should be thinking about ourselves and how we should be approaching the Lord. And as this church grows and as you grow, as you begin to learn more about God, as you begin to gain more wisdom and knowledge and understanding, as you acquire more power by the Holy Spirit and more might in his ability, and you start to be used more from God, if you're not careful, there's a very subtle fine line Where you think yourself better or you start to feel so proud of your accomplishments and then you'll start to look at somebody else's less than or with disdain. God's not okay with that. He's really not okay with that. Let's talk about pride for a moment. Here's a good definition of pride. Deep pleasure and satisfaction derived from my own achievements. The admiration of self. Should you love yourself? Yes, but I love myself in Christ. I hated my life the way it is or was without him. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you hate yourself, how are you gonna love your neighbor? But there's a fine line because loving self can turn into self-righteousness and humanism, and humanism is thinking that God, you are God. And then you start to trust in your own ability and have admiration and confidence in you, and I want to have confidence. I don't want to be full of shame and feel dejected and rejected and have a victim mentality where I see myself as a grasshopper. I don't want that. I want to be confident in who God's made me to be, and I want to be confident that I don't have to go back to the way that I used to live. But there's a fine line And the fine line is very simple. Stay broken, stay humble, cry out and trust God for his grace and his mercy and never think you earned it or deserved it or you were good enough to get it, ever. Because you weren't. And just because God exalted you and the good job comes and the money comes and the favor comes and the people like, whatever it is that happens in your life. Because the truth is, is every one of you is gonna grow. If you stay the course you will grow. That's why God calls our greatest job, job title on earth is a gardener. Did you know that? God's original intent for every one of us was to be a gardener. And then he said, tend and keep what I give you, my garden, his garden. And so the first garden you cultivate yourself. The next garden that you cultivate is your family or your friends and your community that's around you, and you cultivate the garden that God puts in your life and that he's put on earth. We all have a call to garden and cultivate what God's given you, first starting with yourself. And you have to understand there's big wolves, snakes, pests and insects that want to destroy your garden. And after you've faced enough big wolves in your life and your garden's been ravaged a few times, you finally get it. And the great thing about God is, He's always planting new seeds. And He always wants your garden to grow back, even if it's been ravished. And that's why we understand that God calls us to tend and keep our garden by putting guide wires and protection and watchmen around our lives and people in our lives. Because God calls us to be a family. And He's always crying out for you. The Lord's always crying out for you. You know that? He's always crying out for you, no matter where you go. Even all creation cries out for the revealing of the sons of God. All creation's crying out for us. So that's why many people say to me, well, I just, my church is on the beach, or my church is on on my boat, or my church is on a mountain, or my church is on a hike, and I just feel so much closer to God when I'm out in nature. And do you know that there's truth to that? Because you're seeing and feeling and experiencing God's creation. But did you know God's creation is designed as an act to send you to his ways? Because God wants a family, and you can't reproduce family by yourself. That's a really good point. (laughs) You cannot reproduce family by yourself, God wants a family. And I love nature. I don't have an office. I sit in my truck by the water. I was there for an hour before service today, just praying and thinking about you. And the waters were still, so still this morning on the bay. And I was like, man, Lord, you lead me beside still waters. I just wept. But at the end of the day, I can't stay there. I can't stay by the water. I can't stay in my truck. Because God's called me to do it together with you. Because I can't do it alone. And so we understand that God always calls us to cultivate a garden and the Father's always looking for a family. But pride will get you to a place where you get isolated and think, I'm the only one that did it. Pride is a unique Greek word. It's two words. It's a compound word. The first word's hyper. The word hyper means over and above and beyond and more than. And the second word is a word related to light. It's phaino. And it literally means to shine bright and to excel and to exceed and for everybody to see me. Does God want you to shine bright for all the world to see? Yes. You're the light of the world. You don't take your light and hide it under a bushel. Instead, you put it on a mountaintop for all to see. But the deceptive side of pride is, is I'm shining so bright and you're not. Instead of giving you my light, I keep you in darkness. And now it becomes all about me and my recognition and being seen. And you have to be very, very careful as God exalts you and raises you up that you never fall into that kind of pride. I'm, we're not out to outshine somebody. It's not a, it's not a competition. Yeah, it's good. Right? Come on. And finally, in the context of the Pharisee, it's religious arrogance. And I'm convinced it's the most deceptive and destructive form of pride. I think of all pride, no pride is as destructive as religious pride. Wouldn't you agree? And it drives people away from the church, and it drives people away from God, and it's full of disdain, it's ugly, and I can smell religious pride a mile away. And I don't want that in this culture of this church. I don't want to be that way, and I don't want you to be that way. That's why we work to build a culture of love and unity and honor and respect. That's why it's not all about me. I don't need bodyguards, you say, well, what happens when you get to 1,000 or 2,000 people? I don't need bodyguards. I do need people to watch out for me. These guys need to pay attention. You never know what somebody could come or want to do. But we pray, we watch, we protect our children. We watch out for the families that come in here. And I've even told them, if somebody charges me, you better let me at them one time. I'm a state (laughs) champion wrestler, I'm just ready to throw somebody down. No, no, I'm just kidding. Maybe not, but (laughs) you know what I'm saying? It's like we're here together as family. It's decentralized leadership. It throws people on tilt. It's not all about me. can't be all about me. At some point, i got to hand this over to the next generation. At some point, I'm going to be really old. My wife still says I'm old now, and I said, 35 is not old. No, I'm a little older than that. She likes to razz me. But, you know, we understand that it's not our thing. It's not my thing. It's Jesus'. We all belong to him. And the best thing that I can do as a shepherd is to point you in the right direction and teach you like Jesus taught so that you could see how to respond when you fail and you're broken and you're messed up and what happens if you get too prideful and arrogant and when God sets you out of it. Because here's what happens. Many people run to Jesus in crisis. We call that crisis Christian. Is it okay to run to Jesus in crisis? Should you run every time? Yes, no matter how much happens, yes. But what happens when you get out of it? What happens when the promise comes? I've seen too many people here weeping and crying and then the minute things get better, I don't see him anymore. and That's why you have to make a decision. Stay broken and humble in the good times and the bad times. No matter what you face and no matter what you go through, never trust in your own self and your own ability and always stay humble before the eyes of the Lord. Now let's talk about the tax collector for a moment. First of all, who were the tax collectors and why were they so despised of society? Well, first of all, you have to realize that Jerusalem and Israel was under Roman occupation in Jesus' day. They were oppressed by the Romans. They did not have freedom. They had freedoms, but at the end of the day, they they had to submit to the Roman government leadership and economy and system and everything that it had. And so in those days, the tax collectors were Jews, but they were in cahoots with the Roman government. So not only did people hate the occupation and hate the Roman government and want to be set free and delivered from it to come into their own identity like they have today, but the very people that were their own nation, culture, and blood were working for the Roman government, being paid extra money to not only tax but to t- steal and rob and cheat, and many of them took it for their own pockets. So the tax collectors actually were very wealthy. Why? Because they were liars and cheaters and swindlers and crooks, just like the, the Pharisee was saying. Thank you that I'm not that guy. Do you see it? Thank you that I'm not like him. So they were incredibly despised. They were hated. But the tax collector is actually the ultimate picture of humility and brokenness that Jesus commands. There was nothing he could bring to enhance a right standing with God. He didn't have anything that would please God per se. He didn't have fasting and giving and works. In fact, he had done nothing. Instead, he robbed and stole. He was the complete opposite of the way that the Pharisee was. But he knew it. And he came in recognizing, I have nothing to offer to improve my position with God and not only did he not have any works or accomplishments to bring for God his own sin shame and dark cloud inhibited him to even look up to heaven and though he came to the temple he still stood far away from the religious people and the holy place which today would be the altar now I know many of us I don't know how to bring this fully into modern day I mean, I guess I could say how many of us dislike the IRS? Maybe. Imagine if an IRS agent came in and he was the one that audited you and took extra from your money and now he's up here weeping and crying and beating on his chest and you were the one that got robbed from. I don't know. It's a long shot. Maybe. Bring the IRS agents, Lord. I don't know. Maybe it's the guy standing on the street corner. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your best friend. And the problem is when when it starts with one, it leads to someone else. And I get it. We have to have compassion and love for everyone no matter what position or state they're in and no matter what they've done for you. And some of you have such a hard time forgiving. And I often think, what's the best thing the Pharisee could have done? Wept and cried and recognized that none of his works would please God. Only his brokenness would have pleased God. And you realize that you know, we still have to have laws and we still have to have tough love. I'm not okay with homeless people tapping on my window with my kids most of the time. Sometimes I'm okay with it, but most of the time, if they're aggressive and they're, they're pushy and they're cussing in front of the church and your kids are walking out and somebody's cussing out in front of the church and we have to show tough love, we put no trespassing signs. But I also realize, and the same thing, like, If somebody breaks into my house in the middle of the night, they're going to have a surprise waiting for them. Does it mean I don't have compassion and love for everybody? No. That's why I support the military. That's why I support whatever it is that our government says. I don't like all the wars, but you know what? I got people over there, and we have friends and family. and know, somebody that loves Jesus that's in the military, that serves our country for our freedom. But at the end of the day, having hatred and despising anybody is not kingdom. Do you understand? This guy was so full of shame that he would come in and literally bury his head in his hands. What it was was a picture of brokenness. It was a picture of humility, but something called him in. He still went. I want you to notice this. A miserable sinner, lying, cheating, and stealing, was still convicted by God and walked into the temple. And the best thing that we could ever do is make sure we don't become religious Pharisees. Somebody, Think about it. He's beating his chest, crying out to God in brokenness and hurt and pain and angry with himself for what he'd done but he's broken and he's repentant and he's weeping. And if somebody comes in here weeping and broken and beating on their chest and crying out to God, we better make sure we never find ourselves looking down on them, having disdain or questioning or being apathetic or skeptical. Yeah. Now, if it's a bad distraction and it's not the Lord, we have leaders to love and comfort them. And at the same time, we have to be very careful because it could be the person sitting next to you or over against the wall on this side or on that side. Or how about especially in the back row because they didn't feel like they were good enough to come to the front and come up here by me. But you all are. Anytime. Because if you watch me, I'm not a busybody of how to run the service. I'm up here weeping and broken and worshiping too. Because I'd rather be more like a teenager than a, the Pharisee. I don't care how much. I'm never going to fast enough. I'm never going to give enough. I'm never going to be good enough. And I recognize that through lots of failure, but you need to recognize it no matter, what, no matter how you've been. And then the person's next to you weeping and crying. is like, hmm, I wonder what's the matter with them. Man, they must have really made a lot of mistakes. Man, they are jacked up. They smell today. Woo! What must they have done? Or how about this one? I just They need some prayer. Because I have something better than they have. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for people. But what I'm saying to you is maybe God's doing something in them and they need to just be left alone. Maybe we need to create a space at Rock City Church where the tax collectors and the broken and the hurting and the, whoever your background is can come up to the altar and cry and leave it here before you go home and never take it away. Maybe we should have grace and mercy and compassion for them so that they can find the true nature of Jesus and then later with relationship and love and process, we can start to direct and correct. Let the strippers come in miniskirts. I don't care. Not really. And then they come in and say, Man, look at that hoochie mama. She was out last night and she just came into church. What's she thinking? Maybe they don't use that term anymore, but I used to use it. So I'll tell you the story about the the, the man with the high-heeled shoes. So I should want to tell. That's why I want to title a book, The Man with the High Heeled Shoes. Many of you have heard this story, some of you, but if you haven't, just in case, I'm going to tell it to you again. We had a man that was coming to Rock City Church for an extended period of time, pressed slacks in the military for 19 years, pressed Oxford shirt, and like, I don't know, eight to 10 inch high heeled platform stripper shoes, red ones. And if you see this guy, you can't miss him. And I want you to know I love him. Yeah. And if you see him for me, you tell him that I love him. Okay? And what happened was this guy was coming, and he had been here for a period of time, and I was waiting until the Lord would have me to have that conversation because it's not normal for a man to wear girls' clothes. Do you all hear me? You may disagree with me. It is not normal for a man to wear girls clothes it's not normal but here's the thing they can come here and find Jesus and be loved on because Brian was here for three years and I have other pastors that say to some of you get mad at me just listen to me I had pastors that came and said if that man walked into my church he'd have been out minute one because I don't want my kids to see a man in high-heeled red stripper shoes and one day I walked out to the lobby And I had a lady come up to me, Pastor, Pastor, I I have to talk to you. She was upset. I'm like, what's happening? What's going on? She's like, you see that man over there? You let him come to this church in those shoes? I looked at her and I said, let me tell you the difference between that man and you. I said, that man wears his issues out for everybody to see. While you keep yours on the inside. (laughs) like, You're right, Pastor. I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're right. As long as you just are okay with it. I said, well, I'm not okay with it, but I love him and I want to help him. And if I just boot him out the door or try to correct him, he could run, all the way, run out of here. We have to genuinely and authentically love people right where they're at. No matter what state or phase or life they're in. Do you understand? And they'll come in and sit right next to you while you're here. And if you don't see through the lens of Jesus and love, you will become the religious Pharisee. Do you you get it? I was standing in H-E-B, and I had my really good roaster friend from Tulsa, my dear friend Bobby. I love him to no end. I'm in the vegetable section, and I'm facing the vegetable section, and he's looking behind me. He had just come to town to visit. And while I'm looking at him, he's looking at me. He goes, oh, my God. I'm like, what? Is there a robbery behind me or something? (laughs) He goes, oh. turn around you got to see this and I turn around and there's my friend walking right towards me with his high-heeled stripper platform shoes this time they were white his white ones and he comes right up to me and he used to always do this to me and he would grab a hold of me because realize he's like 10 inches taller than everybody because of his shoes he grabs on me and he lifts me up in the air and he gives me a bear hug. I'm like, hey man, it's so good to see you. And my friend's jaw was on the floor. It was on the floor. And, and he goes, You know that guy? I said, Yeah, I'm his pastor. And I told him the story that I just told you, and it changed his life forever. Now, eventually, I had a conversation with this gentleman. And I said, listen, I love you. I want to ask you to consider not wearing the women's shoes anymore. Would you pray about it? He said, "Mm, I don't have time to pray about it. I said, well, I'm asking you to. He goes, well, maybe. And he never came back. Three years of relational equity that most pastors probably never would have put in. But you know what, I handled him right. And I love him and I care about him. But what he was doing is not normal, okay? And so what I want you to understand is that you can never look with eyes of despising towards anybody. Never allow yourself to despise somebody. I don't like what some of the people do In fact, there's a lot of things I flat out don't like. Pedophiles need to go to prison. They need to be arrested. Drug dealers, human traffickers, prison. And if any of you are here doing that, give your life to Jesus now and avoid the trauma. Because you don't break God's laws, they break you. Eventually, it catches up to you. And that's why verse 14 is the key of the whole parable. Verse 14 is the key. Anybody that exalts himself or thinks that they're greater or better or bigger or more or deserving or going to outrun God or outcheat God or get away from God will always be humiliated. It's the point that you don't break God's laws, they break you. He loves you, but he's put standards in place that if we keep running, eventually God has a way to bring us back, hopefully before we die. Some of us learned it the hard way, didn't we? Lots of years of failures and mistakes. But I don't want my kids and your kids to do what you and I did. That's why I want to teach my teenagers by, our, by my own mistakes, but most importantly, teach them that if they do mess it up and bomb it and blow it, the mercy and the grace and the kindness and the love of God to run to him and not from him. Teenagers should never be in shame, ever. You're too young to have experienced a massive amount of religious dysfunction. You're too young to not understand the greatness of a heavenly father, even if your dad jacked you up because he's the dad you never had. And our greatest purpose as older generations is to make sure that we set an example and a trajectory for our children to follow. And the best thing a dad can do is cry out. Have mercy, God. A sinner. I made mistakes. I'm sorry. I blew it. I bombed it. Lord, I'm as desperate as ever. Even if you didn't sin last week, last month, or for the last two years, and you move past the drugs and the porn and the failures and the cheating and the lying and swelling, you never get away from God. Have mercy on me. I'm desperate today as I ever was. You never move past the point of desperation and brokenness. Yeah, come on. David said it best in Psalm 51:17, after he slept with Bathsheba, murdered her husband on the front lines, and then lied about it. He said it best, Psalm 51:17. The best sacrifice you can ever bring to God is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Because David said before, he says, if you wanted bulls and goats and doves and you wanted me to cut things and do all these other sacrifices on the brazen altar, what I realize is that's not really what you want. What you really want right here on the inside. Because yeah. all that other stuff in the Old Testament was a type and shadow of this. It wasn't about goats and blood and bulls. It was about a perfect sacrifice coming to atone for your sins and realizing you could never do it. And what he cares more about is not whether you fasted 104 days a year and gave a tenth of all you have and how good you are and how much you came to church. He cares about the heart. He cares about authenticity, self deprecate. There's no shame. Just own it and then give it to him so he can own it because he already took it on the cross. But you just say, Lord, I'm stepping into the light. I bombed it. I blew it. I know. I could never, ever save myself. So, Lord, I'm looking to you to save me. Have mercy. Notice how the tax collector prayed. He beat his chest. He wept. He self-deprecated his condition. He called himself the most miserable of sinners. Do you know even the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 epistles in the New Testament, said, I'm a great, I'm a chief of sinners over all y'all. Was he living as a chief sinner? No. Had he been a chief sinner? Yes. He self deprecated. So who was justified? The humble was justified. Look at verse 14. The humble was justified. The tax collector was justified. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humiliated, but if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. It's Proverbs 16:18. Nobody gets past this scripture. No one. Not one person. It may be later in life, it may be in eternity. I don't know the answer to that. What I do it know is this is a biblical standard that everyone is under pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall that's why you got to lay down the pride humble yourself what does it mean to be humble it means to make yourself low it's to take the lower rank it's to be abased be little or degraded it's to be unassuming and it means that I'm devoid of haughtiness. It's better for the king to tell you to come sit at the table than you to try to take the best seat of the house. And I've learned no matter how much God has raised me up or what he's done in my life, I'm slow to speak and quick to listen. And when I get in groups or places of influence, I let God do what God does best. And I don't have to interject myself and think myself more than, and then people come to me and say, people really want to hear what you have to say. <sighs> All right, okay. Okay. And then, when I step up to the plate, the Holy Spirit takes over and it's straight fire. But I didn't come in there like, man, I'm going to kick their crack. I'm so good. I'm so big. I'm like, I, they, everybody knows me and I've, I've made it and I've arrived. And man, they're going to hear what I have to say. I either wait to be asked or till the hunger of the Holy Spirit says, okay. And my heart's racing. You know that feeling? Palms get a little sweaty. I'm nervous. You know, I get that way every time before Sundays. I really do. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I take it so serious, so important to me that I reflect right. I take it, and my heart races, and I'm nervous, and my palms are sweaty. I often have to go to the bathroom right before I preach. This happens every time. I'm gonna leave you today with an incredible block of scriptures that really bring this home. It's James 4, 6 through 10. I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation. But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us, for it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you're humble. How many of us need continuous grace? All of us do. I need God to slap me left and right with his grace. I need God to breathe grace. I need him to give me the strength and the grace to do all that I'm called to do, and so do you. And if you don't stay humble, you won't get it. If you get prideful and arrogant and haughty, and pride can come in the most simplest of forms, pride can come in the form of thinking that you can do it on your own and isolating yourself. It's pride. I don't need anybody. They're just going to hurt me anyway. It's what church people do, and maybe you have that in your past, but that's not normal either. Don't be that guy or woman. We isolate ourselves. Pride can come in the form of addiction. Did you know that? Addiction is pride. Because it says, I'm going to resolve my problems my way and numb myself out because the cross isn't good enough. Jesus can't do it. So shoot it up, drink it, whatever it is. Check out pornography. I don't care what it is. Pride's very subtle. You don't even realize it can be in your life. That's why you must stay broken and humble at all times. You never could do it in your own strength anyway. You couldn't have done your chil- made your children in your own strength, you couldn't have had your family, you couldn't have anything. And whatever you have, if it's a tiny little piece of garden, a little patch, and even if it's got weeds in it, God as a master gardener knows how to pull the weeds out of your little bitty patch, and God says, I always want to expand their little patch to more. God always wants to expand you, always. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Never means never, ever, 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 ever. It means he's always, always desiring you and wanting you and desires to give you greater influence. But the best influence is top down. I'm sorry, bottom up instead of top down. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to serve, but to be served. I'm sorry. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Thank you. (laughs) Edit that out of the live feed somehow. Retract. Retract. He came to serve. It's the best position you could ever be in. Promotion always comes from the Lord. You're never overlooked. Ever. Even if I or Pastor Marlene or the they, the leadership doesn't see, you're never, ever overlooked. God sees everything. So he says, humble yourself because the prideful I'll resist, but the Humble, I'll keep pouring out grace. Look at verse seven. So then surrender. Here's your here's your answers. I don't care who's watching. This is weird. Everybody's seeing me. It's on for the whole world to see on the camera. I don't care anymore. don't care anymore and you shouldn't either it doesn't matter what other people think and say it matters how god sees you so surrender stand up to the devil and resist him and he'll turn away and run away why because he's already defeated it doesn't take a lot to get the devil to flee the hard part is your own neuropathways and synaptic connections that loved the drug and loved the drink and loved the sex and loved the porn. And then over years and years and years of addiction and dysfunction, you formed all these memories and all these patterns inside your head. So that's why God says, I'm going to give you new weapons that are going to cast down vain imaginations in your mind. Worship me. Read my word. Get connected. get, it, And I'll renew your mind. So what God has this supernatural spiritual medicine. What he does, he literally can erase those synaptic connections and neural pathways that wanted the dopamine to go after the world because God created us all to go after him and then in the context of marriage to have sex and marriage and enjoy enjoy the delight and pleasure of the greatness of who God is. The first place he put man and created was in a garden called pleasure and delight. And so every man, especially man, is created to reproduce. And so when a man is not connected to Jesus or in the context of marriage, they run to other women and sex and porn. It's why pornography is so rampant in our nation and all over the world. It's more popular than it's ever been. Divorces rates are higher, I just saw a report, than they've ever been. Because the challenge is is if a man's not in his design, he's out of his mind. But God created us in our design to be connected to the Father because the truth is my wife can never satisfy me enough the way that Jesus can. Because she'll still fail me and let me down, but Jesus never will. So that's why God designed that you would get your pleasure and your delight first from him. That's why if you're single, you can stay celibate until you get married. You can do it. You can stay abstinent. And when you start to see and believe that God has a plan for you and a spouse for you and that probably more than anything he's waiting on you, you're not waiting on him. And you don't see it. Because what do you really have to offer right now? And he's improving you and growing you and helping you and teaching you and making you to be virtuous men and women that are upright so then he can trust you with what he brings you. And now your first love always stays in place. He's your first love. So when you get the next love, no matter what she or he does, I got a greater love. And now why would I want to run to porn? Because I have a great marriage and I'm hooked to the vine. And now I have health and strength and reproductive power and not only with him and with my wife but now i'm in my design spiritually to reproduce spiritual sons and daughters because that's what this is really about it's not bigger churches and more people it's family sons and daughters do you see it do you see it ta-da light bulb eureka the devil's already defeated Stand up with Christ, and whenever the devil comes to accuse and lie, you say, "I'm with him." Oh, sorry. I know you want to get in right now, but I'm not going to click that, drink that, smoke that because I'm with him, and you don't have access. The door's shut. And guess what he does? He, please, but he comes back. He's tried to come back my whole life, different ways, different forms, more. More opportune times, the Bible says. See, the devil left Jesus after tempting him in the wilderness and it ended with he would come back at a more opportune time. So here's what you do. No more opportune times. And if you're down, discouraged, frustrated, stressed, struggling, whatever it is you're going through, you don't revert back to your old habits. Instead, you run to the cross and you realize that you find God in your vulnerability and your desperation, Not, I'm so good, everybody. Look, yeah, I've overcome, man. I've overcome all those things. I'm so great now. No, it's like, I am more (laughs) vulnerable and desperate than I've ever been. And the more God entrusts me with, the more broken I want to be. And I never want to forget where I came from. Never forget where you came from. Stay broken and humble. Resist the devil and will flee, verse 8. Move your heart closer to God. Closer and closer. Let's say it. Closer and closer. Closer and closer closer to God. And what does he do? He'll come even closer to you. God wants to come close to you. Move your what? Your heart. It's a heart issue. Move closer to God. Run to him. He's not going to reject you. He may deal with some stuff in your life. That's, the good, that's why we have this good saying. Don't hold on to anything so tightly so that God has to pry it out of your hands. Just give it up now. It's all his to begin with anyway. So that way if it does pry it out of your hands, you don't find yourself rejected and dejected and angry and shaking your fist at God because God took it from me. But maybe you were putting trust in that thing. Your wealth, your ability, your ministry, your calling, your family, your job. I don't care what it is. Stay broken. It was never yours to begin with. It's all his. It's complete lordship. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he'll come closer. But make sure, but notice there's a but. But make sure you cleanse your life. How do you cleanse your life? I teach you this all the time. By the washing of the water of the word. Worship his presence running to him. God, wash me and cleanse me, and then I forsake wickedness. I don't want the things I used to do anymore. I do not want them. It starts with that. And even if the enemy got in and plundered my house and my rest, though a righteous man falls seven many, many, many times, Some of you have fallen many, 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 many many times. And even if you fall many, 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 many more times, get Jesus in your life and look to him and trust him and worship him and let him come into the process because discipleship is forsaking all, taking up your cross and following him, but not in that order. It's all at the same time because I can't carry my cross alone. I need Even Jesus could not carry his cross alone. Did you know that? Even Jesus needed your help. So you understand that I do all I can to forsake it. And if I open the door which I pray I never do, and I ask the Lord for his divine protection, and I take heed at all times. Because First Corinthians ten twelve says this powerful thing. Oh, it's so powerful. First Corinthians ten twelve. Look at this, look at this screen. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Take heed, always, at all times. Be aggressive. said, Pastor, you're so religious about some things. I said, I don't think I'm so religious about some things. Others may, but I may not. You don't understand what I came from. Because I grew up in a promiscuous lifestyle. And I understand the images and from the movies and the sex scenes and what I see on the commercials. And I understand some of you are like, well, that doesn't bother me. I don't care. My attitude is you may, but I may not. Because I already know what I came out of. And I know the devil would like to trip me up. So when it came to the halftime show at Super Bowl, I already knew I was in for some shaking and some moving. And so I was like, you know what? I personally don't want to see that for myself because I don't think it's healthy for me. Others may, but... I may not. And if you enjoyed it, great. I'm not judging you or criticizing you. The truth is, is I, for me, I realize I have to be aggressive yeah. to protect myself because I see what most men are doing behind closed doors. Yeah. Yeah. Why would I feed that? Yeah. So I just have to pr- I'm not telling you not to. I'm telling you, you need to be spirit-led. It's not a religious thing. Yeah. Others may. But I may not. And so I realized that, look, I just got up and did some other things. I'm like, you know what? It's just not, it's not. And I have to be way more careful. Because the images that I see, and it, there's an assault on biblical manhood. There's this assault on man today. Pornography is so high, and marriages are on the rocks. And I'm dealing with it all the time. Yeah. So I'm extra militant and aggressive with it. And some may call it religious, and I don't. Care. Yeah! I've been free of that. Get free of it. Let him who thinks he stand take heedless he fall. Let's go back to that scripture in James. Live a life of take heed. Take heed always. Sin's always crouching at your door. Do you know the Bible says always crouching at your door when Cain killed Abel? Don't you know? Didn't you see? Always crouching at your door is sin. So, I'm gonna live extra aggressive because I wanna live upright. And I got two little kids. I got four little eyes. Not counting this church. And you got eyes. Every one of you have eyes somewhere. Mm -hmm. So, next verse. Feel the pain. Mm. (laughs) Feel the pain, not just in the gym. It's all right to have godly sorrow, it breaks you. It's all right to weep and put your hands between your your head between your hands. Now don't stay there. And I don't care if you come your whole life broken weeping like that. Keep coming. Keep coming. You can cry here every time you come and be broken and weep and cry out to the Lord and feel sorrowful and weep. I get that. It's okay to feel the pain for the failure, but God has a way of healing the pain. And I'll tell you this, I'll take a church full of tax collectors more and all day long than I'd take a church full of religious Pharisees, wouldn't you? So today, I asked the band to come up because I want to do this song, and I want you guys to sing it and worship with me, and then I'm going to have the prayer partners come up. We've got prayer partners can uh, come up. once us have you all stand. I want the prayer partners to come up. I want us to worship, and then I'm going to pray for you guys, all right? Let's all stand.